ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again, it's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhunt, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. Hello, 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 my Purpose Girls. So before starting Purpose Girl, I used to be terrified that I didn't know who I had to be in order for you to want to listen to my podcast. There was so much about me I thought that I could never actually share, right? Like, what if you found out that my very first love was a girl? What if you found out that I was bi? And that didn't fit the picture in your mind with my cute little husband and now my cute little baby. And then you just didn't want to be anywhere in my community. Or what if you found out that I have anxiety, that I've had general anxiety disorder since I was three. Who wants to work with a happiness coach that has anxiety? So I better hide that. There are all these things that I thought, I had a brief moment. Fortunately, I got over that. I had a brief moment of thinking I have to hide any of these things about me in order to live my purpose. When what I've really learned is that the only way to live my purpose is to share my whole self with you. Because us being authentic, me being authentic, you being authentic is your actual purpose. And so the guest that I have on today is truly a role model for me and for so many in this, that it's being our true selves that's going to change the world. And I'm beyond, beyond, beyond honored to get into this conversation and connect with her. Let me introduce you to Delegate Danica Rome. She is part of the historic group that flipped Republican seats in the 2018 election. She is the first out and seated transgender state legislator in American history. Prior to her political career, she was a journalist. She also was in a band, a heavy metal band. We may get into that. We may not. She now serves as a frequent guest on national media. She and her work have been featured in USA Today, People, GQ, New York Times, Elle, and so many others. She also was the subject of the GLAAD award-winning documentary, This Is How We Win. And her book, Burn the Page, I literally have been burning through every page for the last week or so. I've been like glued to my Kindle. So Danica, I'm so honored to have you. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. I'm really glad to see you. Mm. So I've been devouring your book, as I said. And it's been really fun and eye-opening because I remember when you were first elected and this being a really big deal for those of us who are absolute adamant that LGBTQ humans have the same rights and are leaders with everyone else. And seeing you elected opened up now for so many others to be elected. I just can't even imagine the pressure of that. So my first election on November 7th, 2017, uh, when I was one of 15 
uh, Democrats to flip seats uh, red to blue in uh, the Virginia House of Delegates, including one of the 11 Democratic women to flip uh, seats red to blue for the most diverse class in the 400-year history of the Virginia General or the Virginia State House at that point. Um, well bragged. That marked a night where a lot of a lot of the attention went to what we did here in Virginia, but people need to remember. I was one of eight out trans candidates who won seats that night on November 7th, 2017. Mm. Um, and yeah, I was the first out and seated trans state legislator. But in the following year, in 2018, uh, three other uh, out, out trans women won state legislative seats, including two who flipped seats red to blue. Uh, Brianna Tone in Colorado did. Uh, Jerry Cannon in New Hampshire, who, by the way, was elected to school board the same night I was elected to the House of Delegates 2017. And Lisa Buckner, uh, also in New Hampshire. And then in 2019, I was reelected. And in 2020, not only did uh, Lisa, Jerry, and Brianna all earn reelection, but we also doubled our out uh, trans caucus of state legislators from one to four to eight, uh, including my friend Sarah McBride, who's the first out and seated trans state senator in the country, um, along with a state representative, uh, Stephanie Byers in Kansas, who's the first out native trans woman, which is amazing. Mm. Love that. Um, uh, and then you have uh, my friend Taylor Small, who's the youngest uh, out trans uh, state uh, legislator. She's still in her mid twenties, which is really incredible. Oh my goddess! Wow. Yeah, right. And we also have <laughs> a third out uh, trans uh, legislator in New Hampshire now, uh, Stacey Marie Lawton. And so you know, we've also added dozens, plural, mm. of local elected translators. And so. What I, the point, the reason I go through all of that is to really emphasize to your audience as, as a whole that when you can, the reason that representation is power and it is so powerful is that when you can see yourself doing something, it makes it so much more possible for you to visualize your own path to get there. Yes. I didn't have that luxury, but at the same time, I was a news reporter covering my lifelong home community for more than nine years. And I was working two full-time jobs for four out of five point years at one point where I was working for the hotline in DC covering federal and state politics for three and a half years, which was basically a front row seat to how campaigns work. And I was well-trained. I had gone through the uh, LGBTQ Victory Institute's candidate campaign program in um, November of 2016. Uh, which was right before I launched my first campaign on January 3rd, uh, 2017, when I was unemployed, uninsured, <laughs> driving a $324.92 Dodge Shadow, very much yes. not in the book or in the page. Uh, and keep in mind, as a transgender, middlehead reporter, stepmom, vegetarian, Yogini, I did not come from central casting. So right. I defeated <laughs> Uh, the self-described chief homophobe of Virginia who had been in office since I was seven years old, elected 13 times over 26 years. And when I was asked that campaign, well, if he, as bad as you say he is, how come he keeps winning? I said, oh, because he has run against me yet. Just being right. You yeah. know, one of the things that I was so struck with, well, for, and first of all, thank you for sharing all of the stories and I'm sure not even all, but so many more and so many more names because we may know your name for being the first, but at the same time, it's so important. As you said, it's like people used to not be able to run a four minute mile. I still can't run a four minute mile or even a 14 minute mile. But once one person was able to, then, you know, so many more were able to. And this is the thing. 
We haven't even yet had a female president of the United States. We have so few female top leaders, right? Presidents, prime ministers around the world. And so there are little humans right now who aren't seeing themselves in office or have only seen themselves in one office. Or, and being someone who can show younger people or just any people, hey, this is possible for you too, is huge. And one of the things I was really struck by in reading your book, there are so many, was that you knew that your gender was going to be the topic. But that wasn't even what you ran on. <laughs> you were running on a road that really needed to be fixed. Traffic was a mess where you were, right, in your local community. And I remember you got to a point in the book, you know, in your story, where your opponent was really hitting below the belt, very cruel, and you you started to kind of compete in that way. And someone said to you, wait a minute, that's not the issue I want to vote for you on. And I highlighted this part of the book because you start talking about how when we get away from who we really are and what really matters, then we're off track and we have to come back and center. And I think that's so powerful because it would have, of course, people probably wanted to make your gender the topic here. Well, you know, Karen, um, if you think about that phrase, go back to center, you know, I if for maybe uh, you, I don't know, maybe a lot of your listeners, but for me, my yoga training was also always that really important part that gets me back to remembering to go back to center. Because like when mm. you're in Shavasana, they tell you when, uh, you know, course pose. So basically, you know, you're you're lying on the ground. Uh, you got your arms, you know, uh, splayed next to your sides, your feet are open. And they tell you at that point, it's not for you to ignore the thoughts that are going through your head. It's for you to acknowledge them like clouds and let them pass. Mm. And I had spent at that point so many months of that campaign acknowledging those clouds, dark stormy clouds, and letting them pass. And then when my predecessor uh, said to my former newspaper that I spent more than nine years of my life reporting at the Prince William Times, said, why did you uh, call Danica a female? Did Danica's DNA change? Um, I did respond to that. I had had enough. I, you know, just, yeah. and I, I felt kind of like, yeah. And so, you know, we released this very positive ad with, um, you know, three LGBTQ kids and it was called, it was the Inspire ad, you know, and we wanted to inspire people to, you know, be themselves and everything. And oh my God, after I did that, oh, Danica's taking herself off message. It's like the double standard for mm. something positive, yes, kind and affirming is somehow distracting mm. like compared to someone whose entire platform is based on who can I exclude today? Yes. So, it was so frustrating. And I write about that in the book. But then a former member of the Haymarket Town Council, she called me and said, like, well, first I saw what she wrote, which she said, I don't want to vote for either of y'all. So I reached out to her. I was like, hey, come on. And she's like, okay, look, Danica, I'm going to vote for you. But you got to remember why you got in this race in the first place. Is this why you did so that you could get into a back and forth mud fight with, you know, my now predecessor? Or is this for you to, you know, be yourself here and, and tell us what you're going to do to help us. I was like, mm. you're damn right. And <laughs> I tell you, I spent every single day of those last two weeks of that campaign, not a day went by. I didn't talk about fixing route 28 where I wasn't talking mm. about my predecessors vote against Medicaid expansion, which I, by the way, I kept my promise 
to actually do it. And because of my vote on May 30th, 2018, we've now enrolled 660,000 Virginians in Medicaid expansion. Those are 660,000 people yes, who didn't yes, leave yes. uninsured during a worldwide pandemic. Mm. I also kept my, you know, my promise to raise teacher pay, which I've done each vote, budget I voted on. So all, you know, thank you, all, thank you, thank you. And we've now, in my three terms in office, I was reelected again last year in 2021. We've now passed 32 of my bills in the law, including 10 to feed hungry kids. Mm. When I, you know, when I focus on those issues, you know, we get a lot of good results. At the same yes. time, equality has always been part of my platform. Justice, yes. liberation, equity, all been a part of my platform, and they remain part of my state senate platform for 2023 as I'm running for the newly drawn open uh, 30th district in Western Prince William County in the cities of Manassas, Manassas Park. So, you know, it's a year and a half long campaign, so it's a lot. But <laughs> I say all of that to just remind people that it's okay and it should be encouraged for you to stand up for your values. It's just as you're doing that, remember you are a multifaceted person with mm. a lot of different dimensions to who you are and to what you stand for. And so it is very okay for you to talk about something you're passionate about and to also continue to talk about all the other things that make you who you are and make your values the way that they are. Yes. Yeah. It's such a beautiful message. You know, I work with a lot of people who want to go out there with their purpose, but the fear that they're going to be rejected. They're going to get hate comments on their social media, right? I mean, it's it's like a primal fear, right? And I know one of my base primal fears is as a woman and the witch hunt and past life regressions, like, you know, being able to kind of I know that. And so how did you and do you, and maybe the answer is yoga, but be able to keep your center and keep on purpose with all of that coming at you, I mean, one of the, you know, it's like I had to smirk a little bit reading the book because every chapter starts with like a smear campaign that was set about you, right? And I just appreciate that you've been able to own it and not let it get you down, but almost like being Teflon instead of Velcro. So uh, the first bit of advice is uh, you find that when you're dead inside, you can do a whole lot in terms of ignoring really terrible comments made, uh, made to you. Uh, but I don't, mm. I, I don't uh, recommend that for everyone. That's for the, uh, the that's for the advanced class. <laughs> um, but for me, what I do, oh hell, when I get attacked on social media, I save it and then I fundraise off of it. And uh, <laughs> I am very, oh my god, very deliberate <laughs> off of it. And I go, like I have had many episodes on Twitter, especially, but also through my emails, where I go, hey, here's someone who said something horrifically <laughs> transphobic about me today. Let's raise. $2,000 in the next hour off of this. Okay, who's yes. going to pitch in? And everyone who chips in gets a picture of my cats. You know, like, oh. <laughs> like, like I'll, I'll, I'll find a way to flip the script. And that's a big yeah. part of what I wrote about in Burn the Page is the importance of flipping the script because negative things are going to happen to you. But as the great Taoist philosopher Winnie the Pooh uh, once said <laughs> on this, it's not the information that is inherently positive or negative it's what you do with that information that is negative now of course you can have absolutely inherently negative situations or like you know where you have children dying in war and dying of life and starvation and everything like that there is nothing good about that what the positive that you can choose to bring from yourself out of that is to say here's what i'm going to do about it 
I'm yes. going to work for positive change in my community. You know, think uh, global, act local, right? Or you can right. act global as well, that I'm going to do something to be a part of the solution, to be a part of helping people. And if you do that, you're taking something that is inherently terrible and you're making the best you can out of it. Yes. I am not going to tell any of your listeners here that the barbs and everything else that they shouldn't hurt, they shouldn't sting, they shouldn't be whatever. We we're human. It's okay mm-hmm. to be yeah. hurt by this stuff. It's okay to look at this and say, Hey, that's not right. Just remember every minute that they spend attacking you is a minute that they're not spending attacking someone else. And you know what mm. I've often found out? The same bastards who attack me usually don't donate to the other campaigns. <laughs> so I'm like, that's fine. You want to spend all of your time not knocking on doors, not making phone calls, not, you know, voting, not do, getting out and doing right. all the things it takes <laughs> actually to beat me in a race. Okay, that's fine. Like, right, I, right, I, great. Let's take all your time. You can bring it to me because I'm bulletproof, you know? Well, and so, yeah. There is a little, and here's, here's one of the things. Before I ran for office, the prior year in 2016, which I also mentioned in Burn the Page, was uh, beginning that February, I spent 16 months working to get Prince William County School Board to add sexual orientation and gender identity to its non-discrimination policy for you know students, teachers, staff. And in doing so, I actually spoke four times in front of the school board where I was, you know, even in one case, directly rebutting my predecessor's comments, which is kind of fun. Uh, and I think about that. And the reason I chose to go to Richmond four times that year to fight nine anti-LGBTQ bills, the reason I went in front of my school board four times in 2016, you know, to support this policy change was because I knew trans kids and LGBTQ kids at large would not feel safe doing it. And for Mm. good reason, I Mm -hmm. saw grown ass adults stepping in front of a microphone and saying that LGBTQ kids were abominations who were damnable and damned by God. And I saw an elected official who's now running for Congress, by the way, applaud the person who said that. I sat right behind her. I saw it myself. And so those kids, then they wouldn't be in a place where they would feel that safe because they would get bullied at school because right. the children of some of these folks. Now, a lot of the folks who were speaking against this stuff didn't even have kids in public school in the first place. So, like, let's let's make that perfectly clear. Right. I think you mentioned in the book they were like being bussed in from oh, different yeah. church yeah, communities. Yeah, that actually, <laughs> that absolutely, that, that absolutely happened. Yes. yes. But the larger point is though that they were these parents were also setting the example of yes. what good behavior is supposed to be for their kids, and that when they are singling out and stigmatizing the most vulnerable people in the community, who are these children, their kids. What do you, what does that mean in terms of how those kids are then going to be treated in school, right? Well, I didn't right. have that worry. I graduated high school. I, I spent 13 years in Catholic school. You want to know where mm. dead inside comment comes from? <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you learn two things in Catholic school. Uh, the first thing is conversion therapy does not work. Mm-hmm. And the second thing you learn is a quote from St. Francis of Sales, which is to be who you are and be that well. And what I like to add mm. to that is to thrive because of who you are, not to yes. hide it, and not for what discriminatory politicians or other people, for that matter, tell you you're supposed to be. You be you better than anyone else ever could because you're the only one who can. Say it, sister. Yes. I mean, pre- it's like, yes, 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 yes. Totally what I preach on here all the time. Too. The, 
Yeah, well, yeah, right. And yoga helps too, and a little chocolate along the way. The you know, my my two favorite words that my listeners hear me say all the time are I choose. Because we don't choose what happens to us, right? Like I've I've been open about my fertility process. I had several miscarriages. I don't choose that. But we do choose what we do with it, right? When you are handed shit, you do get to choose to turn it into fertilizer. And to see you turn that what could be pain because it is painful, people attacking you, we're human, you have a human heart, to turn that into purpose of like, oh, all right, let me just go raise more money. Let me go create another bill. Let me go get something else that is going to help more people past. That's the most powerful thing that we can do. So I'll tell you a quick story with that. Um, In my 2019 re-election campaign, uh, one of the far right groups, they put up a ad on Facebook for like two weeks targeting me for um, supporting my friend Deborah Rodman's bill to make sure that uh, health insurance actually covered trans people and our healthcare needs. And they went to the net screaming, bitching, whining and hollering about it. And so I won the election by 12 points. And right after that, I said, uh, you know, I want to breathe out one last uh, lingering resentment from the 2019 campaign because at this point Democrats had just won a complete trifecta. You know, so we won majorities in both chambers of the legislature, and we had a, you know, a Democratic governor to go with. I said, just so you know, that bill you all attacked me for, I'm going to introduce it myself this year. I'm going to get it passed this year. And yes. two months later, I did. Oh, <laughs> you, you go, woman. Yes, 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 yeah, yes. So, well, technically, I think. By the time it was signed into law, it was like five months, whatever. So, but it, yeah, 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 we, we, we passed. But that's the, the yeah. that's the opportunity, right? Is how do we take what can be so painful and, as you say, flip the script, or as I say, turn it into purpose? And so, you know, I literally was just having this conversation with a client of mine who herself had had an abortion many, many, many years ago. Wants to publicly speak out right now about the Supreme Court leak about potentially taking away Roe v. Wade, et cetera. And the fear, right? It's like baseline fear. I mean, you must have had threats on your life and to still walk forward even with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've had issues where I've had to report to Capitol Police, you know, like one person I remember on uh, Instagram, even though I don't even use Instagram, uh, they wrote that the only cure for me was a bullet between its eyes. You know, so they wanted to call me a person, right? I was like, okay. Turns out it was a woman who put her first, middle, and last name on uh, on her Instagram page. So she had a little visit from the uh, Alabama State Police that probably didn't end too well for her. Um, but you know, that was just one of those like, hey, you know, uh, death threats not cool, not okay. No, um, no, not okay. Definitely not okay. But all that said. What 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 I guess I would point out here, if nothing else, is, yeah, we are going to not only be attacked, you know, verbally, but sometimes people do take it another step and you got to do what you got to do. At the same time, remember what we talked about earlier about not withdrawing your attention from your main objective or objectives. Mm. If other people are trying to create that noise, you keep going being yourself. And if someone, yeah. one of your clients for in this case wants to be able to tell her abortion story, I can't be the person who's going to tell her everything in her life is going to get okay and better. And it's going to be a nice, easy path for you to be able to, you know, not only tell the courage, but to someone with the courage to do it. 
or to, to tell a story, to have the courage to tell a story in the first place, and everyone in your life is going to treat you oh so great, and no one's going to judge you or anything like that. I can't, I can't tell you that. What I can tell you is a life where you're not harboring a secret. It's mm. an open life where other people begin to be able to relate to you and share their stories with you because they see you being vulnerable enough to be visible. Mm. Away from the campaign, away from politics and all of that, can't tell you how many people in my personal life, my pre-2017 friends, as they <laughs> call them, who started coming out to me uh, mm. after I ran. And at first, after I came out myself, and then second after, you know, like, I had, you know, done everything. And one of those people was actually someone who worked one of the precincts for me during my primary in uh, 2017, who spent the whole 13 hours that day handing out flyers in the back of a pickup with like a, like a little tent over and everything. <laughs> and she's since transitioned, you know, mm. and, you know, and uh, it was so funny at the time. I remember, so she's very Gothic and everything, just, you know, metal community. It's, you know, yeah. that, right. And, She's like, oh, is everything going to be okay? If blah, blah, blah. I was just like, honey, my only ask is that you tuck in the pentagram necklace. After that, <laughs> you go and do, you go and be yourself. <laughs> you know it. Do everything you got to do. I'm not going to tell you to take it off. Just tuck it in your shirt. We'll be just fine. And you're like, hey, look, if that's for you, if that's who you are, well, you know, that's, you know, you're as much of a part of Virginia as anyone else. You know, Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. You know, just little things that make me kind of laugh at that. But, um, Hey, you know what happened though that day? We were the only campaign that actually staffed that precinct the whole day. I won like 53% of the vote out of that precinct. It was a four-way primary where I was outspent by tens of thousands of dollars, outmailed two to one, and we cleaned up shop with a trans friend who was working the, the poll, and I didn't even know she was trans at the time. <laughs> I love it. So, so well bragged. So, I mean, it's so incredible. It's, it's that tenacity that just strikes me over and over and over again, reading your book and now talking to you. Yep. You know, the- Aaron, just come, one, one other thought to that, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, please. For your, for someone to share their abortion story, especially right now, yeah, you're going to have a lot of people who are going to be judgmental, who are going to, you know, condemn and call you all the names in the book and everything. But you're also going to find that that statistic about one in, one in three women, not to mention non-binary people and, you know, trans men and other folks who also have abortions. Um, when you have that that statistic of one in three women who do, you're also going to find a lot of people very quickly in your immediate life who will probably tell you in private, oh, hey, you know, I didn't mm. do more. Hey, I've been considering it and yes. I've been scared or whatever. And again, that vulnerable, being vulnerable enough to be visible the way I put it, which I, I, I highlight a lot in the book, but I also want people to just take it to heart that, it's not always easy to be a leader. It's not always easy to put yourself out there, especially when you don't have a lot of a roadmap. But you will find that if you're as authentic to yourself as you can be, you'll probably inspire a couple other people to at least join you along the way. Mm, thank you for adding that. Vulnerable enough to be visible. It's so interesting because I think at our core, right, like our base human desire is to be seen. And yet we're also so afraid to be seen of what might happen if we're really, really, really seen. And so that's why, you know, any great book or movie or autobiography is someone who is willing to show, show the warts and show this is who I really am. 
One of my favorite moments from your book is when you are talking with your therapist. And this is before you've gone through the full transition. And she says to you, you are so beautiful. Why would you hide this? And I look at you now, you're gorgeous. You all need to see her hair. (laughs) I know you talk about your hair in the book and like everything about you. But that struck me, right? When we show our true self, we are so beautiful. What did that moment do for you when she said that? Oh, I remember it well. It was uh, December of 2012. It was my third time in therapy. Um, My first day of therapy was November 21st, 2012. And uh, I went in. Uh, I remember exactly what I was wearing. I had a uh, kind of a a wrap purple, uh, like royal purple uh, shirt, kind of like kind of same color I'm wearing right now, actually. But uh, kind of like a little wrap cut in the front, uh, scoop, you know, uh, with a short sleeve. Um, a purple and black kind of uh, slant uh, skirt, which is kind of cool. Um, black tights and really did up my face to the best of my ability, which was not great at the time uh, and everything. And also this is before I started HRT. So I was rail thin. I was 5'11", like 140 pounds. I weighed no pink. Mm. So I was like solid size zero at the time. <laughs> and at this point, if I tried uh, putting on anything that I wore back then, uh, that aside from that shirt and that skirt, because they have elastic, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to get past my ankle. But that's a <laughs> story for a different day. Uh, but uh, I remember just feeling so good because I, I had showed up presenting as male my first two times. And I was telling her, you know, when I reached out to her first in November of 2012, I had said, hey, you know, I want to talk to you about lifelong issues, gender dysphoria, I think transgender, I need help. And at this point, I was 28 years old, and I always compare genders for you to like having a hand around your throat that slowly closes over time until mm. the point where you're like, I can't keep doing this anymore. And, you know, in the book, I mentioned, you know, my dad's suicide from, you know, very violent suicide when I was three years old. And I would never, ever have that for myself because I know how it destroys a family, but I understand the mentality of someone who doesn't see hope and Mm. when you give up on hope that things will be better that's what drives suicidal ideation in the first place Mm -hmm. and for me i was at a point of i don't know what it's going to be like to transition for me i can see what it's done for other people i can watch a thousand youtube videos and Mm -hmm. i did i can (laughs) you know read everything under the sun for it but I'll never know what my results would be until I just do it. And as uncertain as that future was, I knew the path I was on of not transitioning was unsustainable. Mm. I did not want to go into my thirties feeling the way I did where I was constant every day, wake up. How come not her yet? And how come I don't have the courage to be her today? Every day I go to sleep. How come I'm not her yet? How come I didn't spend today as her? How come I can't do mm. every single day? Where like, you know, I would find days here and there to go out to clubs, go out to wherever where it was safe. But at the same time, my physical appearance of you know seeing the lines that were embedding in my head, you know, I would smile and I would have lines that went from my eyes down to my uh, down to the tip, you know, the, the edges of my lips, and I was seeing my body drift further and further and further away from how I felt 
mm. what my feminine expression was supposed to be in the first place and feeling mm -hmm. constantly suppressed, constantly having that, you know, just that inner woman screaming out at me and saying like, <sighs> when is it my turn to live? Yeah. And like, you're not even in your own body. In a way, I mean, yeah, but on the other way, you're very cognizant of the body you have. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. are also of the mindset of saying, okay, either I'm going to do something about it while I'm still in my view at that time. And it's not necessarily consistent with how I would perceive other people who are older than I am who transitioned at all. But where I was at that time, I did not want to go into my 30s still one feeling like that but then second having my body still being so far away from my heart from your and soul so, yeah yeah you have a very center of my being and so you know um i started hrt on december 3rd 2013 which um, is hormone replacement yes, therapy at uh, 8 24 p.m with my first two milligrams of estradiol and uh, one of the things i read about in the book was that i was around kind of my little Coven of women. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Sisterhood is everything. Absolutely. Yes. A little, uh, it just a safe house in, uh, in Alexandria with a lesbian couple and two of their daughters. And, or actually, there were two daughters. And they also, they have a son as well. He's one, one of my best friends. And one of my other friends, um, along with that. And, you know, where I took my first pills. And we took uh, blue candles. So we lit pink candles with them. I then blew out the blue candles. And uh, we had a smudging, you know, so that was super cool with sage and everything. I love, I love this. It's oh, such yeah. a, I mean, it these are ancient no, feminine I, rituals, right? Absolutely. I mean, this, is, this is like ancient <laughs> divine ritual that we used to be burnt at the stake for. But it's like, you, your soul, you are a woman. And I can only imagine feeling so trapped in that body. You know, I, I remember um, being at an event once where I heard a trans woman who's in the military talk about her being this like Xena princess warrior in a way. Right. Hmm. But what she was really talking about was feeling like the woman who's trapped in the castle and she can never leave and hmm. feeling every day, like she's dying a little bit more every hmm. single time she sees the warrior. And she's like, how come I can't be that warrior today? How come the warrior has to be the one who leaves the castle? How come I can't every mm. single day? And yeah. I remember her saying that there wasn't a dry eye in the building. It was just, yeah. oh my God. She she tells it. The way she tells it is just, I, I can't do it justice. But Yeah, and it, well, my heart is still, uh, you know, yeah. yeah, exploding with that. It's It's amazing to me. I know that there are people who still would say to you, it's not even, that's not a real thing. Oh, well, uh, those are people who don't want elections in my district. So. <laughs> right. What's incredible to me is that that ex thought exists when it's so obvious that we're humans and, and part of your very feminine, female, woman's soul being born in a male body was for purpose too, right? This is, I was watching a video that you did about pride and saying that because you're a transgender woman, you met your partner. It's like, not despite, but because. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I uh, also mentioned in front of page, uh, a friend of mine, uh, uh, Middle Mike, he uh, uh, actually is one of my Manassas Park constituents, a longtime friend of mine. Um, I was about 10 months into my transition and he reached out to me and said, hey, I know this other trans person in our 
local uh, DMV area heavy metal scene uh, who's uh, transitioning the other way right now. And um, I thought you'd be a good resource and be someone to talk to. And so I sent that person a direct message and a week goes by and I was like, oh man, maybe I said too much. Maybe I was too <laughs> forward, whatever. And, uh, was gonna... You have the cutest look on your face right now, by the way. You look all like... <laughs> so giddy girly so, uh, <laughs> then a uh, week goes by and then uh i get this long screed and this the length of the message i got back i went yes i'm in <laughs> that was my immediate reaction and then uh and right after then my 30th birthday came and that was the day i came out to my mom and my sister and it was very hard it was not an easy conversation but one of the things that came up that night was my mom at said to me, uh, well, I'm just worried. How are you going to meet someone? And I said, well, actually, mm. well, I got a uh, date with someone uh, next week. Actually, we're going to go <laughs> the Temptation concert uh, in Baltimore. And uh, we did. And I've uh, been together ever since. You know, so like, you know, but we didn't make it official until the following January in 2015. Uh, and I wrote about the interlude in between because like my partner was very much like, no, look, you know, we, we are not you know, exclusive or whatever, we're still very much able to, you know, just meet other people, do whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I write in the book how, you know, I said, okay, well, you know, I have a trip to Scotland coming up to celebrate my one year in HRT. Um, you know, do you have any objections? You know, if I happen to meet someone over there and you know, have a good time with and my partner's like, no, you know, do what you gotta do. It's fine. <laughs> and I got over there and sure enough, I was at a uh, place called Banshee Labyrinth in uh, Edinburgh, a uh, happy little place, and met someone who's really cute. And <laughs> we, I remember saying to my friend Aisha, I go, uh, hey, I'm going to go back to an apartment with this random stranger <laughs> I just met in a, in a country that's not mine. Uh, you know, just uh, try to find me. <laughs> like, just like doing the ultimate, like, girl, no. Like, what right, you're not doing this. Like, being intentionally, willfully dumb. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, I was also uh, 30 years old. And, you know, I've come into my femininity at this point. Yeah. And, and like, wanted that kind of experience. I did. I did. Until the moment had arrived, more or less, where I had a decision to make. And, I realized my heart was over over the seas. Um, mm. Back with uh, you know my now partner of more than seven years and four months. Wow! And um, you know we didn't really do anything past uh, first or second base <laughs> at that point. And um, then what was so funny was uh, I walk out of uh, that apartment. And uh, it was like this guy. The, the apartment. The, it wasn't with the guy whose apartment it was. It was like the other guy, but. The guy who's where he's like this big guitar tech of Edinburgh. And you're, you're like, heavy metal's my life. So you're like, mm -hmm. just yeah. <laughs> you know, where we go. And you know, my band had like never brought two years earlier. And so um, I remember the next morning. So it's super early morning, but you know, like this lights out, newspaper delivery boy is on his bike. He drives by and I was like, hey, and I wanted to ask him where such and such street was. And he just, he wouldn't stop. He kept going. I was like, okay. And then this uh, woman comes out. She's probably in her 50s or 60s. And she sees me. And I said, hey, I'm trying to um, find such and such place. I was told I could walk there, but I don't think I can. Do you know where it is? And she's like, oh, last hop on it. And so I get into her car and I explain to her what happened. And she laughs. And I was like, well, so thank you. And, and, so, and she's like, oh, it's not a problem at all. 
now I get to tell uh, one of my girlfriends that I uh, saved an American girl from a walk of shame. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, that, that's amazing. That's a, right. You're like, I've wanted that kind of story my whole life. I'm, I'm okay with this. Not only am I okay with it, but I'm going to write it in a book. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, very, very, very much. I'm yeah. totally going to celebrate oh, she, it. And she, she absolutely made me crack up in that moment. It was so funny. Um, but yeah, you know, long and short of it, part of writing this book was putting those stories out there and being very self-deprecating. I hope it's funny. I hope everyone you know gets a good laugh out of it. You know, I, I tried to make it as funny as I could while at the same time, I also get very serious in different points as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of use, I, I want people to experience like, you know, all of the facets of human emotion as you're going through the book, you know, and with a lot more sarcasm than not. <laughs> yes. You hit all of that in the book. First of all, you're an incredible writer. Obviously, that was your. Thanks. I'd like to think the journalism degree has uh, continued to uh, pay off. <laughs> it is paying off in the book. And you hit all those notes, right? Where it's like my heart was breaking at different moments and I had tears in my eyes just imagining that feeling of being stuck, right? In the body, out of body, in body. And hilarious. And you talk about heavy metal and like. <laughs> your experience of having that band and you talk about being a dishwasher you know who made whatever five dollars an hour while that was part of the you job know, yeah that was right, part of it. driver who in between deliveries had to wash trays yeah yeah right while then someone's asking you hey you would make a great state congressperson you should run for that you know and so it really does have everything and it's such a human story and i so appreciate you being vulnerable to be visible. And now you're running again, now for state Senate, right? Look, I'm running to represent my lifelong home community still. It's just adding in some of our neighbors now. I'm campaigning mm. on the same stuff this time, just for the next year and a half, that I campaigned on my first three campaigns. You know, fixing Route 28 and Rollins Ford Road, finding ways to, you know, uh, expand mass transit so we actually have a bus that runs from Manassas to Dulles International Airport. Uh, mm. You know, actually implementing uh, the results of what I voted on with HB 1414 in the first place in 2020 so that we have night and weekend VRE service on the Manassas line. Uh, uh, continuing Medicaid expansion because 660,000 sounds like a lot. And it's more than 30,000 people in Greater Prince William, but I think there's a whole lot more who would be eligible or who are eligible and they don't even know it. You know, continuing to raise teacher pay, continuing to feed hungry kids and then school meal debt shaming all that that sort of stuff you know while also still working to make virginia a more inclusive commonwealth so no matter what you look like where you come from how you worship if you do or who you love you are welcome celebrated respected and protected here because of who you are not despite it all of that is still my platform nothing yes. has changed and by the way reporter turned legislator i'm also a very fierce advocate for the freedom of information act and making public records accessible to the public you know so you know just I've been the person I said I would be in the legislature. And um, I hope that the people of Western Prince William County, uh, which is Broad Run, Haymarket, Cat, uh, Cat Harpen, uh, Gainesville, Bristow, and the county part of Manassas, as well as the city of Manassas and the city of Manassas Park, all like what they see and they're willing to give me another shot you know, to do it. Because if they do, I know I'm going to do a good job for, them for, for the four years that they hire me for. I know you will too. And I cannot wait until I get to vote for you, right? <laughs> I don't live in Virginia. Maybe one day I will, but I'm counting on you being somewhere at some point in the United States. I would love, love, love. Yeah, you're going to have to be in Virginia for that one. <laughs> <laughs> You'd ever want to run at the national level? 
Uh, I don't know what expletive I can put in front of no, but pick one of your choosing <laughs> and say no. Never. No. But well, no, I don't. We, I, I, I spent three and a half years in D.C., you know, like working at the Watergate, covering federal politics. I did my time. I don't. <laughs> well, thank you for doing that. Yeah, I, I, I have no desire to be hated for living. That's just fine. Well, we need you. That's all I can say, because those these are the important issues. I so, so, so appreciate you. Yeah, if you, if you want to transfer, then go talk to Sarah McBride. She's the state center in Delaware. She's, okay. She's awesome. And she she's well equipped for that job. Uh, Does she know you're out there talk, telling people that she should run? Oh, hell, I told her I told her, <laughs> her face in 2017, right after my election. Uh, I said that the first uh, the first senator, the first trans senator would be Sarah. I didn't say state as I said it turned out I was right. But, you know, Clairvoyant. unintentionally right. Yeah, but also <laughs> yeah. very much intentionally right. Yes, and, uh, I love it. She was. And uh, I think she would do phenomenal in federal government, federal politics. I think she has the right personality, the right charisma, right, you know, just uh, effectiveness. She's very constituent oriented. She would do phenomenal. So when people ask, like, hey, you know, do you, could you see a trans person in the federal government? Oh, yeah, Sarah McBride in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I have so many more questions I have to ask, and I know that we're at the end. I don't even know if this is a quickie, but your mom is, and you talk about this in the book, that she is devout Catholic, et cetera. How, if someone's listening to this and they want to have a conversation with their mother that they don't think their mom is going to want to hear or that they're totally different opposing views, just how would you even recommend approaching that? First, don't wait 30 years like I did and don't, mm. don't spend 20 years closeted, you know, because you're so afraid of what, of disappointing your mom. That, that was what I did. Um, whereas I had very good reason to do what I did in terms of being closeted at home. But as my mom told me, she's like, look, that's stupid. I just didn't know to what extent it was. <laughs> you know, Come on. My, my, my very Italian Sicilian Bronxite mother. Uh, yeah, anyway, I'm a lifelong Virginian, born, raised Manassas for my whole life. But my mom, very Bronx, and uh, she, you know, so, so so I definitely use her inflection a lot. But the way that I did it, one thing I, I guess what I would do is I would go back to the book where I I explain there's a certain grace and patience that when we have, especially when we're coming out, that we have to show our parents, our other loved ones, our family of birth, you know, just the people in our lives in general, and be willing to understand the difference between someone who is trying to get it right and they slip up, they make mistakes mm. there, and they're actively trying to embrace you, but it's hard for them and they will get around to it. It's just, you know, versus malicious intent. Yeah. When someone is toxic in your life and they are actively hurting you, whether it's psychologically or physically for that matter, that's a different conversation. When someone just needs time, mm. we have to show a bit of grace because not every person in our life operates in these activist circles of, you know, inclusivity and thinking about what can I do to be the most warm, embracing person for people of LGBTQIA identities and such. It's just, you're not going to have that in every single person. And so just show the patience and grace that you need to with it while 
very much understanding what happens when, you know, you've been trying for a long time and someone just refuses to want to get it and, and mm. actively hurts you. That's just, just be able to recognize the difference between the two. Yeah. But in terms of how to broach the conversation, I can't tell you when it's safe for you to come out. I can't tell you when it's the right time or how someone is going to react. It's impossible for me to do that. What I can tell you is you do have positive examples where things, even if they didn't go right at first, eventually did. And you have negative examples. It is up to you to confront that uncertainty of what lies ahead and determine that you are going to make tomorrow different than today. Mm. And I'll close by talking about uh, an in-between track from a band I love. They just so <laughs> happen to have a trans vocalist. Uh, it's a mm. metal hardcore band from, uh, from Brooklyn. They're called Life of Agony. And they had a very, very, in the underground anyways, very popular album in the, in the mid-90s. It's called River Runs Red. And in the in-between tracks between the songs, you would hear the story of this teenage boy who everything in his life is going awful. His girlfriend dumps him. His mother is wildly abusive to him. He's failing school. He gets fired from his job. And one day he comes home and everything's too much. He's being berated. He goes upstairs. He closes the door. He puts on some tunes and he lets his rest and mm. just the album ends by hearing the drops hitting the water. Mm. Well, the band revisited the concept 25 years later and they said, what if he survived? What would mm. happen if he was now in his forties and he was adjusting to, you know, the life where he is while still very much having that reminder of where he came from. And so the album, the sound of scars opens with the same exact sound that River Runs Red ends with. And you hear the paramedics come in, you hear them rush him out. Um, time passes and his then wife uh, calls his uh, probably psychiatrist and wants to schedule an appointment because she knows he's been really down. And you know it's, it's that time of the year where it's the anniversary you know, coming up and everything. And so the guy, so the psychiatrist is talking to him and he's like, well, you know, why'd you go off the meds? Why? And all, all the character does, he just breathes, right? You just hear off. And psychologist eventually starts telling him, let that scar on your wrist remind you of where you've been, not where you're going. You're a survivor. You've been through it. You're on the other side now. And he said, everything that you're feeling is absolutely valid. The trauma, everything else. Completely valid. But it's up for you today to say, I will hurt no more. Can you do that? Mm. Can you say, I will hurt no more. And then the song, the album closes on a really, really good song called I Surrender. Um, <laughs> and the reason I love the visual and I love the story so much is, and just like for my book with Burn the Page, I'm not encouraging anyone to run away from their scars because your scars are a part of you. They are either part of your very physical anatomy when you're talking about physical scars or your mm. mental scars that are very much a part of your psychology. But where I am trying to stress on this is learning to live with them and to embrace a meaning from them the, what were the teaching moments that came yes. with every one of those that you developed 
and what can you do to make them work for you now? And yes. especially when I'm speaking in women's groups, and especially mm. when I'm speaking to people who have experienced loss, trauma, death, hurt, all of which struck by the book. And then, you know, people who have survived sexual assaults, people who have yes. gone through so much. What can you do to take something that is so inherently devastating and say, here's what I'm going to do today to acknowledge it like the cloud that it is, let it pass and find a way to make tomorrow better than today. Hmm. Yes. What can I do to make today better? And what can I do to choose? It's like it comes back, we come back full circle, making that choice. And again, it's just been a theme here. It's like turning that shit into fertilizer. I love how you're saying it's not, we're not getting rid of the scars. We're saying that the scars are part of what makes you strong and makes you powerful. All right, I could go on forever. Obviously, we're way out of time. <laughs> we're way over. Everyone must run, run, run and get this book on Kindle at a bookstore, wherever it is. It's called Burn the Page by Danica Rome. Danica, thank you, thank you, thank you for being on the Purpose Girl podcast. We are with you. Go kick more ass in Virginia. Anyone who is in Virginia, vote, vote, vote if you're in her area. Otherwise, we're cheering you on from, a, from afar. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. It's so good having this conversation with you. And also the book, uh, I did the audio book for it as well. So I hope you enjoy that. And uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, remember Fabulous. to be, be who you are, be that well, and thrive because of who you are. Love it. Have a beautiful day. Thanks, Danica. Thank you. And thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who listened to this episode of the Purpose Girl podcast. And we hope that you love, love, love this episode as much as we loved doing it. If so, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave your five-star review. All it takes is 60 seconds and that one sentence for you to make a change in another woman's life who will listen to the Purpose Girl podcast and she will start being her authentic self and start sharing her vulnerability visibly. And for all of you out there, take these messages to heart because this is how we change the world one woman at a time. With that, my love, may you live purposefully. May you love yourself and may you love life. Bye for now.